Hey everyone, and welcome to the Envision Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Hanquist, and I'm the CEO of Envision Nutrition. We're here to take you from imagining your future possibilities to turning them into actual realities. Each week, we'll be giving you a glimpse into the lives of other successful, busy working professionals, some of the parents who have, through it all, somehow been able to make health and fitness a continuous staple in their lives. Today, I'll be chatting with Envision's very own coach, Jessica Durando. Jess is a licensed clinical therapist, certified nutrition coach for Envision Nutrition, and certified pre- and postnatal coach. She takes a mind-body approach to helping moms in every phase of motherhood to look and feel their best. Jess is a mom of two little ones, Owen and Blakely, and she lives in Atlanta with her husband, kids, and two pups. Let's welcome Jess to the show. Yes, I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, I feel like there's so many moms out there, myself included, that need to hear probably what we're about to talk about today. Um, it's it's so funny because like I ran, as I was telling you earlier, before I press record, I ran a half a marathon this morning or this morning, this morning. No. <laughs> oh, very impressive. No, I did not mean to say that on Sunday and I am not a distance runner. I just... I don't do that. And so it was very outside the norm, but it was a big family ordeal. So I did it. And then it was kind of funny yesterday. I kind of like, how did I say it to myself? I'm like, what would my inner Jess do? Okay. Yeah. You need to take her an extra rest day. I was like, so I had you because obviously, you know, we had this podcast today. So I had you in the corner of my mind yesterday and I took an extra rest day because Yay. Yeah. After that half marathon, I only took one day off. And then I was like, let's get right back to it. You know, this all or nothing attitude. And, and then man, yesterday I was paying for it. So it was just kind of funny. I was like, what would my inner Jess do? (laughs) I love that. So I want to go ahead and get right into the questions. Like I said, I think there's a lot of our listeners that are going to get some really good information from this podcast. And the biggest um, thing that I see is people you know, using the term, I don't have time. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get your insight or what you think the number one, most common concern that you see amongst, you know, busy working parents out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think time is a big component of it. And I think that a lot of that concern is valid. I mean, I recall back to life before I had kids and I was like, Oh, I, I legitimately just had way more time. Um, and not even just in terms of minutes and hours, but the number of like balls that I was juggling at any one moment, it life just looked really different. So it wasn't even just tangible time, but the overwhelm Mm -hmm. of the mental load of motherhood and all of the to-dos that I have to get done and being pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, so I think time is a really big concern for parents. I also think that there's a big misunderstanding of how we can effectively use the time that we do have in ways that yield big results. So even when somebody does get a little bit of time, maybe they're utilizing it in a way that doesn't best serve them or isn't real self-care. And so not that the opportunity is missed, but it just doesn't offer as much bang for its buck as it could. So we're filling our time buckets with busyness versus productivity or efficiency. Correct. Yes. We're just trying to check to do's off the list or 
we're doing things that we think are self-care, but maybe they're more self-comfort than they really are self-care, or they're not really meeting the need that we most need to have met at that time because we're not really present in the moment. So time is a really big barrier, especially for a lot of busy parents. But I think what's important is that not only we do we as coaches help our clients better manage their time and take some of that time back. But when they do get those little pockets of opportunity, know how to effectively use them in ways that serve us. And you said something there that really like kind of hit me because I really struggled with this. So I had, you know, I was a very young mother and then, um, you you know, I was 21 when I had my started having children. And so I was very young. So I didn't have that chunk of time, you know, as a young married couple to kind of do things together, we had kids ASAP. So, um, so you know, this whole living in the moment thing is, is so hard because I think when you're really young, you don't necessarily have those tools developed quite yet to understand what living in the moment means. You just kind of do what you have to do to like work through life and get through things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that whole concept of um, being there in that moment is really hard for people to, to grasp versus mm-hmm. just checking things off the list and moving on. Sure. I mean, it's a learned skill that I have to practice. And I think that that is honestly one of the most important things that like we can teach clients as coaches is really how to be intentional and have awareness and be present yeah. in the moment. But it does look different for parents. And honestly, not to knock the dads out there because there are some incredible dads and, um, and it's obviously really different too with like single dads, but I almost like, I always joke that there was like a physiological switch that flipped for me when I had kids Mm -hmm. that didn't flip for my husband, not for a lack of trying so participatory, but like the perfect example is us like leaving the house and like my kids just, you know, have their like lovey and my husband has his like wallet and keys. And I'm like a pack meal for a three day vacation. Right. I'm like, is the diaper bag packed? Are there enough diapers, snacks, toys? What if this one has a tantrum? Do I have this stuffed animal? You know, and then all of a sudden it's like my third trip where I'm finally grabbing the things that I need. And they're sitting in the car waiting for you. Like, why are you not in here yet? Yeah. Like what's the hold up? And I'm like, I don't know. I had to pack the entire house for the what ifs. Mm -hmm. So the, the reality is for moms, we're just always on. Yep. We have little humans dependent on us. So, I mean, I wake up on like oftentimes to a screaming child mm-hmm. and then the amount of to do's just start coming naturally. And as a result of that, it's almost like we're always just reacting out of habit. And yep. I do think, I mean, my oldest is three, so I haven't been a mom as long as you. Mm-hmm. So the cumulative impact of thinking that way for mm-hmm. so long Mm-hmm. it starts to add up a little bit. And so it makes sense why it's really difficult to be in the present. It makes sense why it's really difficult to not just be having a hundred to do's. Cause it's almost like yeah. our brains physiologically want to work that way. Right. So it's really a skill to learn how to slow down and pause and be present in the moment. But if you don't, you risk going, 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 doing, 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 and never really settling into being And with that comes never really recognizing that your own needs need to be met as well. Well, and I think a lot of people, you know, when, when COVID hit, there was a period of time where there was downtime. Right. And I think a lot of us stopped for a minute, you know, and I've talked to a lot of moms out there that, that had that pressed that pause button for a minute. And they're like, oh my gosh, I am not, I'm not happy. I, you know, I was just a robot doing things. 
And, you know, that is, that is not healthy. You don't want to get, you know, to where your kid's 15 years old and you have all of this guilt of, I wish I would have remembered this. I wish we would have done that. I wish, I wish, I wish. And, you know, so I think that's another reason why it's so important to be intentional and, and really think of being in the moment because we're always looking for the next thing and the next step, but we don't want to someday find ourselves with that pause button. Like what the heck, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the, the things that COVID did and quarantine did is it took moms who were already drowning and just threw a whole bunch of weights at them <laughs> to push them <laughs> underwater more, right? Like it was already hard enough. And then it's like, well, now, now we're going to, you know, take away all of your alone time if you're at home or all of your things just for you. If you worked, we're going to take away all of your routine. We're also going to make you a teacher. If you homeschool, Mm -hmm. Um, if your husband's an essential worker, we're just going to take him out of the house completely and leave you alone to deal with it yourself. Like there was moms everywhere are drowning now in ways that we never anticipated. Um, So self-care has never been more important, but more difficult to come by especially if we have a misperception of what it looks like. And the unfortunate thing is nobody thinks that like the way that they eat and the way that they move and those extra 15 minutes of sleep and how many ounces of water they drink that day. And if they're intentionally resting, nobody really sees that as self-care and the diet industry certainly doesn't want you to. Like I know for years had somebody said to me, eating is a form of self-care, I would have told them it was crazy. Like eating was something that I did to make myself smaller to matter more, right? Like I wanted to eat as little as possible so that I could weigh as little as possible. It was never considered a form of self-care, but now the thought that we could eat to nourish ourselves and have the energy to get through the day with our kids and not be as irritable or still be able to accomplish aesthetic or performance goals or be educated enough to be empowered in how we eat and how we move and all of getting our physical needs met, um, that becomes exciting because that could be a really tangible form of self-care that moms can get for themselves right now. And don't you feel like once you introduce that concept to people, they are so surprised with their energy and, you know, and I know for so many people, they don't realize how crappy they feel until they actually feel really good. You know, um, you know, just a few small changes can really make all the difference in your energy and your productivity. And and it is crazy. Like you said, you know, 15 minutes of extra sleep or getting in that extra water or whatever it be. It is amazing how much more energy you're able to pour out when you take that step back and take care of yourself. Right. It's like if we're pitchers full of water and we have all these tiny little cups that we have to fill with like kids Mm -hmm. and work and spouse (laughs) and other relationships and household, we can only pour out water into those things for so long before we're completely drained. And it's not just about being drained and not being as good for the people in our life. It's about all of these other like quote unquote side effects that pop up from being drained, like fatigue and irritability and impatience and mom guilt and resentment and burnout and body image issues and, um, negative self-talk and mindset blocks. Like these all pop up as a result of us not taking care of ourselves and not thinking that our needs matter. And you know, that's so interesting that you bring that up because I literally experienced this yesterday. I 
knew like waking up, my fuse was short. You ever have those days where you just know your fuse is short and it's a reminder to me, usually after the fact, unfortunately, after I've lost my cool or after I've been, you know, made a snotty comment or something like that to my husband. And, and it's a really big trigger. And that's why I ended up taking another rest day because it was a situation where I had zero patience with my daughter yesterday morning. And, and I had to think about that for a minute, you know, Amanda, what, what have you done to take care of yourself? And I asked the kids to, you know, I asked the husband to get supper going. I asked the kids to deal with the dishes. You know, I had the husband put the kiddo to bed and it may not have been the way that I would have done it. Right. But I sat my butt on the couch for a good couple of hours. And did I feel kind of like a lazy POS in that moment a little bit, but I woke up today, an entirely brand new woman. And I think that just goes to show like we need to take those moments. We need to ask for help. Even if the help that we receive is not maybe exactly how we would do it. Right. Well, I think that that also goes along with redefining self-care. It's redefining the physical self-care components of Mm -hmm. eating well, um, moving well, things like that. But asking for help is a form of self-care. Accepting Mm -hmm. help is a form of self-care. Rest challalenging some of those stories that pop up like oh I'm so lazy for being on the couch mm-hmm. recognizing they're not yeah. true and it's still what you need those are all true forms of self-care and so what I find a lot even for myself and a def- definitely a lot of my clients is they wake up that morning and they maybe maybe they don't know that they have a short fuse maybe they yeah. do maybe that awareness is there but they're still just trying to force a square peg in a round hole and yeah. they're trying like harder and harder to do all the things or regain some control. Um, but they're just inadvertently draining their cup more and more. And if we can either pro like look back retroactively and say, what could I have done a couple of days ago for me to prevent this from happening or, okay, I feel this way. What does self-care look like for me in this moment? Can I honor and acknowledge that I feel this way and not judge myself for it. Can I ask for more help? Can I accept more help? Can I acknowledge that real self-care right now isn't luxuries like bubble baths or spa days. That's not going to do anything for me. Um, But it's also more than like housework and hygiene. It's not enough just to take a shower and run some errands by myself. Right. Oh, like like I washed my hair today instead of just rinse off. (laughs) And all of that stuff can be self-care, but can we be really intentional and strategic in the moment to be like, what, why do I feel this way? What need is left unmet and how can I meet it for myself or ask for help in meeting it in other ways too? And it really does, you know, we really do need to let go, you know, and I think those of us, I mean, busy working moms, like I think it's fair to say that most of us are doers and go-getters and control freaks. And I remember early on in our marriage, I would get upset and vocally express my um, thoughts on how towels were folded the wrong way, you know, and how the dishwasher was loaded the wrong way. And, you know, I really had to let go of those things. And I think once you do, you realize Oh my God, the world's not going to end because the towels don't fit perfectly in the closet. 
You know, right. the world's not going to end because I can't fit these two extra cups in the dishwasher. Everything is going to be just fine. And we'll wake up tomorrow. <laughs> perfectly right. Okay. Right. Well, I think it's just a powerful shift in focus from, did you help right or wrong to, oh, you helped and I needed the help and it might not have looked the way I wanted, but now this is one more thing potentially off my plate. Or like you said, the world's not going to implode because there's a, a cup in the dish or not in the dishwasher, or does it open up a conversation for your partner? Hey, this isn't about like right or wrong way with the dishwasher. It legitimately makes me anxious to go to bed with dishes in the sink. That's yeah. why yeah. like that's the underlying issue here. Right. Like, but can we have more effective communication? I mean, self-care is really nuanced and really multifaceted. Physical self-care, I think, is kind of like the easiest, most tangible ways to get started. But I find once anybody, but busy women, moms especially, start incorporating it in, it has a ripple effect. And all of a sudden, we go from feeling like we're dragged behind the bumper of the car to being in the driver's seat and yep. moving through the day being like, oh, my needs matter. I get as much focus on myself as I give to everything else in my life. And it doesn't have to be like big or grandiose. It's just the mindset of, oh, I get to show up for myself today too, just like I'm showing up for everybody else. And that's really powerful because that means that you have skin in the game and you're an equal share in your own life. And there's other times too. And I think we need to pour some grace on ourselves because this is almost like a muscle that needs to be trained, right? It's not like we're going to get it right. And then we're just going to be perfect going forward. Like there's, you know, I know a lot about self-care. I know that running a half a marathon is extremely draining on my body when I am not prepared for it. Cause I really didn't train that much, but but I still fell off of that. You know, I still got myself in that position of having that short fuse and not taking care of myself. So I think it's important for people to realize that you're constantly going to have to redirect and get yourself back to that, um, that place where you can be at your best. It's not going to just be perfect once you do it, you know? Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you've never, ever worked out before and you walk into a gym and you're like, I want to deadlift 300 pounds, right? Like it just doesn't. <laughs> well, first happen. you're going to break your back. <laughs> Correct. Like, but, but that's exactly it. There's, mm-hmm. we need to learn what it looks like. We need to become aware. We need yep. to get comfortable holding a barbell the correct way. We need to learn great form. And then we have to show up every day. And some days you're going to do great. And some days it's going to feel like you're slipping further behind, yeah. but you are still active and participatory in the journey because that's part of a goal. And I feel like self-care for people doesn't feel as tangible as like, I want to lose X amount of weight or I want to lift X amount of pounds. But just because it's not tangible doesn't mean it doesn't matter. I would argue some of the intangibles like body image and confidence and self-love and happy marriage and happy motherhood matter more than a lot of those numbers um, and the tangibles. But we still have to participate in that, Mm -hmm. that journey and show up every day and do the work knowing that it's not an overnight fix. Well, I mean, it is just, it's like, you know, going back to your idea of the vehicle. I mean, if we're not getting our oil changed every so often and getting the service on our vehicle, the, the, whatever point checks on our vehicle, I mean, before we know we're going to be on the side of the road. So yeah, yeah, just because we can't see what they're doing to our vehicle when it's at the shop, doesn't mean they're not doing something very important to it. Correct. Yeah. And I think that that, with that analogy is why, people aren't doing any of the maintenance on their vehicle 
but they just keep trying to do the epic road trip over and over again. Mm. And then wondering why they keep breaking down. And so we have to do the maintenance work before we're going to maximize anything. And I think we see that a lot with training or nutritional protocols or whatever it is that we're trying. It is great to want to track macros. It's great to want to follow, you know, this intense training protocol, but maybe we're not in a position to track macros. If we're like our idea of breakfast is our kids cold leftovers off their breakfast plate, or we're skipping meals altogether. You know, if it's hard to do a walk around the block, then maybe we don't run the half marathon. Like we have to start with basics. Yeah. And build from there. But we also have to give ourselves grace and recognizing the basics are also self-care. Self-care isn't earned or some advanced level strategy. Everything can count as an act of self-care if we're choosing it and doing it to better ourselves. You know, that actually leads into one of my questions that I had for you. And um, you really bring up a good point with this because I get a lot of inquiries from, you know, postpartum mothers who want to know when they can start basically going full throttle, like losing weight, getting their pre-baby body back. And wow, say that 10 times fast, (laughs) pre-baby body back. And, you know, I myself included um, was in on this where I felt like eight weeks and it's time to roll, you know, and we see the influencers on Instagram that just had their babies and they look freaking ridiculously amazing, like four weeks postpartum. And I just, I want to normalize the real version of motherhood, you know, when should, so you bring up a really good point. Like if you're not even meeting your basic needs yet, you don't have any business trying to go in on all this diet stuff, right? Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, let's also just acknowledge and I could get on a soapbox about all of this. First of all, (laughs) let's also acknowledge postpartum. It's not just about your basic needs. You're trying to meet the basic needs of an entire human being. And this is different than any other way you've ever done. They're small. Don't let it fool you. Yes. They have big demand. So, I mean, you are feeding them. You are changing them. You are bathing them. You are helping them sleep and develop and grow. And that is intense. And then you are attempting to meet your own needs and whatever time comes left because you can't skip over their needs. That's not how it works. So I think that we have to acknowledge the gravity of the situation. I think that we have to stop with all of this, get your body back. Your body never left you. It has shown up for you in miraculous (laughs) every day for months, um, doing things that other humans can never fathom their body doing. And I think that we have to, I mean, social media is really, you know, a, a large crux of this, but what I hate too, that I feel as well, like you did when you see is you see this mom who six weeks later looks quote unquote amazing. And it's like, what would it look like if our frame of reference of a woman six weeks postpartum, our idea of amazing looked the way a woman is supposed to look six weeks postpartum? Like, what if it looked like, I mean, and I don't want to like get too graphic here, especially for male users or male listeners, but like, what if six weeks postpartum, we were just happy, like her wounds were healing and she wasn't wearing a diaper all the time, or maybe (laughs) she is, or maybe she had a meal that day, or maybe she slept more than two hours interrupted. Like every time she laughed, (laughs) like what if that was the idea of amazing? What if somebody who was like incredibly fit and thin, um, was also accepted, but wasn't the standard of what was amazing. Because I know for me, postpartum, in order for me to 
continue breastfeeding and in order for me to recover and heal and in order for me not to pee every time I sneezed, Mm. my body couldn't look like that. I couldn't do the things that I would have had to do to look like that. So I think that the tricky thing about social media is that, you know, we never see the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. of what it means. We don't know what kind of work that woman put in or genetics that woman has Mm -hmm. or the contributing factors that played into her looking like that six weeks postpartum. I know for me, my body wouldn't lose weight as long as I was breastfeeding. It just like held on to as much fat as it possibly could to keep milk supply up. So I think what's important is that we are taking circumstances, like having your fittest, leanest self, that is difficult to happen when hormones are balanced, Mm -hmm. when training can be regular, when sleep is in check, when eating in a certain way can be a top priority. And we're now imposing it into a time of life that's never been more stressful, when your body has never needed to heal and recover faster. And then we're like, but why? Why do I not look like, you know, a CrossFit athlete or the cover of a physique magazine? When will I quote unquote, get my body back? Um, We're really expecting unrealistic things. And there are some women who are going to be able to lose fat in that period. And there are some women who aren't because of hormones, because of breastfeeding, because of sleep, because of stress. Um, So I, I think that it's such a subjective experience that it makes it really hard to be like, you know, by X period of time, you should expect it. But what I will say is this, if you are breastfeeding there, like anything is on the table, everybody's body responds really different, Mm -hmm. but if sleep is not in check, and I mean, you're not consistently getting seven to eight hours a night, which God love you. If your newborn is giving that to you. Yeah. I don't know how that's happening. Yeah. If you're not eating regularly, if you're not, um, if stress is not managed, if you're not able to do basic movements that would lead to more training, advanced training protocols, then you're not in a position to really worry about that. And I know that sucks. And I have a lot of postpartum clients and they do not like my answer. Mm-hmm. But what I say is everything has a season, right? Yeah. And like maybe this is breastfeeding season. <laughs> maybe this is recovery season. And I promise we will focus on the other seasons. But if we're looking at a hierarchy, you are asking for like the top rung of the ladder and we haven't even taken the first step yet. So let's take the first step. Let's help you heal. Let's get you feeling the best that you can. Let's challenge the mindset issues that are playing a large role here and wanting you to quote unquote, get your body back. And then let's set you up for success so that when we can finally accomplish aesthetic or performance goals, you feel better than you ever have before doing it. I wish I would have found you four years ago. And I say that because I did my first bodybuilding competition nine months postpartum and I can like feel you cringing right now. And I wish I would have had, (laughs) but I was that mom that quote unquote looked amazing very shortly after having a baby. But I will tell you now, looking back at that time in my life, I wish I was that you looked amazing, but how, you said you looked amazing, but how did you feel? Well, let's just tell you a few weeks before my competition, <laughs> I was in my doctor's office thinking I was going to have a heart attack and it was anxiety. So, um, you know, not only that, but now after the fact, um, I hired a, you know, a, a professional bodybuilder to coach me at that time, eight weeks postpartum. And 
you know, bless their heart. They did what I hired them for. But if I had to do it over again, I would have hired somebody with more of a, an approach like yours. Like, Hey, let's get you healthy. Your number one priority is your baby because I gave up breastfeeding for that. I couldn't produce milk. Once I started those intense workouts, et cetera, et cetera. I did heal very fast, but on the outside, I healed very fast. Right. You know, you fast forward and you've got guilt because you spent all that time on yourself, on your physical body to look a certain way, realizing, wow, my daughter is now four years old and yeah, great. I had a cool picture to put on my wall, but you know, there's a lot of other things that are way more important than that in my life. And now I have time to concentrate more on that, but you know, I think I can give perspective on what that Instagram mom looks like and it's not all roses. Right. I think, you know, I, I'm always really careful. Like I just am all for real motherhood and not shaming any experience and real motherhood for some moms is the physique show nine months postpartum. I had, I know women who ran half marathon six weeks postpartum. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to shame that everybody heals differently and it feels differently for them. And I know a lot of women who felt very, very out of control of their own body during pregnancy and their attempts to do this helped them feel in control of themselves again. It helped them feel like themselves again. Mm -hmm. And when it is so easy to lose who we are in motherhood, I get that. So I'm not here to shame that. And I'm not here to say that it's not doable. Mm -hmm. What I am here to say is that just because somebody looks good doesn't mean that they feel good. And just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So I would just get really clear on why you're doing it and what reasons you're doing it for. And if there's any part of you that's doing it to fix yourself or love yourself or prove something to yourself or get back to something, Mm -hmm. it might be worth considering the motives for doing it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, it was a situation where with my first two pregnancies, I was very unhealthy, you know, physically and emotionally, I gained 55 pounds with each one and it took two years to, you know, get the quote unquote weight off and et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I think for me this time it was, I am not going to do it again. I'm going to show myself that I can do it. And, you know, that's fine, I think, but I, I would love to see, I I would have loved to have seen that come from more of a self-care approach versus let's just dig ourselves into a hole, (laughs) you know? There are just conversations not happening. I mean, right before I got pregnant with my first, I was probably the happiest body comp wise I had been after a history of disordered eating and training and trying to fix. So that was a scary thing to give up, but I you know, I was like really meticulous in my pregnancy. Like I still tracked macros throughout my pregnancy, which I don't always even recommend to my clients now. Some yes, some no, it depends on the reasons, but I tracked macros and I only gained 20 pounds and I like just had the cute little belly and I crossfitted up until they told me like, you have to stop crossfitting. You're going too hard. (laughs) Like, you know, I recovered really well from, from pregnancy and I had all of these expectations and you know what one of them wasn't, it wasn't to leave the hospital still looking seven months pregnant. Mm. Nobody told me about that. Nobody told me what it would feel like to stare into a mirror before getting in a shower and not recognize a 
a body anymore. Nobody told me what it would feel like to have gone nine months giving myself these like quote unquote permissions to be imperfect because it's fine. I'm pregnant. And then how, when I wasn't pregnant anymore and I didn't have that excuse, which right. Like that, how much I would beat up on myself. Like nobody told me that I would keep trying and trying and trying to lose the weight for eight months unsuccessfully until I finally stopped breastfeeding because I couldn't anymore to see the scale move a little bit to get pregnant eight months postpartum with my second daughter, you know, and so, or my second child, my daughter. And so postpartum with my daughter was when I was like, especially because I think it happened so closely. Right. So when I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, I'm just going to expect this to be a complete mess (laughs) and not recognize myself at all and take it slow and that be okay. Expectations were a lot different. Correct. But it changed everything because I was kinder to myself. And now I'm, you know, almost two years postpartum from her and I still weigh more than I did before I got pregnant with her. And some of it is more lean mass. And some of it is changes in different, like a change in my body because my hips are different and my ribs are different and all that. And some of it is, (laughs) yeah, they don't. And some of it is just having more fat, but, um, like now it just all feels very much like my choice. I'm going to do it when and how I want to do it. Yes. And that's a that's self-care. That's empowering. And that's not forcing a square peg in a round hole because of how things quote unquote should be. And I feel like too, like when you're pregnant, you are weighted on hand and foot. People offer you their seat. People don't want you to have to work too hard. They literally like cater to you. And it's okay to eat the brownie. It's okay to eat this. You're feeding for two. I mean, you, you hear all the things. And then the minute you have the baby, it's the baby. It's all about the baby. And let me hold the baby and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is such a huge mental switch literally overnight. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it it's hard because I think it's, for me, it was a really easy trigger for mom guilt mm-hmm. to be like, I'm here too. Like my needs matter too. Like, hello. Like I, but I don't, I don't want to take it. Right. Like, and, and it was all about you, even like doctor's visits and people checking on your physical wellness and your mental wellness. It was all about you. And, but I never wanted to say it aloud because I wanted it to be about my baby. Like I didn't want to take that away from my child, but then it was like, hi, like I, Still here, still recovering, still right. birth the human. No, we being. just need to see you in six weeks. You're fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think um, self-care has to happen throughout the motherhood journey. We have to acknowledge that self-care for the mom in the preconception phase, mm-hmm. pregnant, postpartum, to the empty nester, anywhere where you are in the motherhood journey, self-care will look different for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and your investment, you know, like the pregnant clients that I have, self-care for them is way more focused on the physical elements. Yeah. Some of the moms I have right now of young kids, the physical elements matter, but they're way more focused on like functional self-care. How do I survive the day? Um, psychological self-care. How do I deal with the self-talk that I have? But if we take a holistic approach, then it's just about learning what tools you need and how to be strategic in using those tools wherever you are in your journey. And let's too, like, so when we, you know, we're pregnant, we have our babies and our life is so consumed, especially in that infancy stage. But then we eventually hit a point where I feel like, okay, I can start to get my identity back of, you know, who I was before this baby, who I want to be now. 
And the other day I was scrolling Facebook and I came across a, I don't know, one of those quote things that people share and it, I'm going to get it wrong. So I'm just going to paraphrase it. But basically it said, I work really hard. I'm a hustler. I'm a doer. Every single thing I do is for my children. And it stopped me in my tracks and it made me feel almost, and I don't want to say this with, without, with a negative connotation to it, but it made me feel sad for that person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes as parents, we get too caught up and wrapped up in our identities as a parent when that's, that's one role that we play in our entire lives. And it is a very short period of time in our lives too. Yeah. That's always kind of the stance that I take is motherhood is a role, not an identity. Mm-hmm. And of course, my children offer a big why behind why I do things that I do and why I want to work so hard and what the life that I want for them. But also not even like financially, like what I want them to see and have modeled as a mom. Right. So I think that it's completely appropriate that they're part of the equation. Mm-hmm. but. I think that it is a risky thing to make them the entire equation um, because we're potentially hinging our identity on other people because they are there. They might be tiny, but they're other people. They're going to grow up to be big people Mm -hmm. and their opinions and their perceptions. And, um, you know, I, I don't want like me to get to a place in my life where if my kid makes a mistake, then I think it's because I failed. Or I, did. I mean, I think that we always have that as moms, but I don't want my whole life revolving around my children because I want their lives to revolve around them and their future and who they want to grow into. Um, and I want them to learn that we're all independent individual people and that we deserve to meet our own needs, that, that they know that they get to meet their needs because mom meets her needs and that mom shows up as a better mom because she's willing to do that. Um, so I think it's okay if the kids factor into a why and this is probably totally personal opinion. I just, it doesn't work well for me for them to be my only why. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I agree with that hundred percent. And you know, that goes into a whole nother episode, I think of, of mom guilt, because I've definitely had periods in my life where, you know, when I was building up my insurance agency, I was working so much and, you know, you see the, the stay at home mom community, which is amazing. I have such mad respect for them, but I would almost feel guilty because I was working so much instead of being home with my children that, you know, that's not necessarily healthy either. There really does have to be a balance between meeting your needs, meeting your kids' needs and, um, you know, leaving the mom guilt aside, because I think that's just, you know, something that we put into our own heads. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in an ideal world, it would be really easy to be like, let's just get rid of mom guilt. But I don't think that that's realistic. I think that it's a valid emotion and it pops up, but it typically emotions stem from thoughts that we have. Mm -hmm. And I just think that the thoughts that lead to mom guilt are made off of made up standards that we've created, that society has created, that somebody else said something about how they feel guilty and it's like a contagion and then we feel guilty. Like it's just created off of nonsense, honestly, a lot of times, but we get it programmed into our head. And so then it's like, I'm running on empty. I need time for myself. Nope. 
I shouldn't want time for myself. I should need to make it all about my kids intermom guilt. Mm. So I think that sometimes the best ways that we can deal with mom guilt are to challenge the thought and the feeling more than the behavior. So mm-hmm. I see the mom, I see moms oftentimes, and even myself challenging, like, well, maybe I shouldn't, you know, go out for a girl's night, or maybe I shouldn't take care of myself, or maybe I shouldn't spend this money on me, or I should really be like investing this in myself instead of, you know, or not in myself. I should be investing in the family. And it's like, well, what if we stop challenging the potential behavior so much and instead challenge the guilt? why do I feel guilty about this? Does this really make me a bad mom? Am I hurting my children this way? Could I be benefiting my children this way? Who says I'm not allowed to take care of myself? Could this maybe be like some ridiculous standard that was created and just kind of programmed into me? So I think we're challenging the wrong thing. Or do I, or, or do I have mom guilt because of the opinion of somebody else, you know? And, and I think, um, you know, for me, that was a big one. Um, and, you know, you just, you, you can't let those feelings and those thoughts sit in your mind, you know, and, and two, like, I I love to go back to the self-care strategies because, and I know we briefly talked, touched on it, but this was a big one for me for the longest time, self-comfort strategies, you know, the hair, the nails, the spa day, et cetera, versus self-care strategies. So I really want to talk about the difference between the two and like simplifying it. Yeah. So I think um, there's a perception that self-care always feels good Mm -hmm. and that's not the case. I mean, self-care can feel good and the purpose of it is to help improve your mental and physical health, Mm -hmm. but some self-care strategies don't feel great. Like having uncomfortable conversations with your spouse to improve communication, not fun. Mm -hmm. Setting and sticking to a budget to improve financial health, not fun, right? Like there are saying no, setting limits, boundaries, not fun, but necessary forms of self-care. Whereas self-comfort, some of it can be self-care in the right time or place. Like going and getting a manicure pedicure can feel like self-care, but a lot of times it's not about really meeting any sort of basic internal need. It's, it's just trying to comfort yourself during a stressful time. So a lot of that, like pampering indulgence can be a lot more self-comfort. I see food a lot of times um, being utilized for Mm self-comfort. Stress is high, mindless eating, eating things that taste good, even if they don't serve us at all. And again, this is where self-care becomes nuanced. Food can be a form of self-care. Eating well can be a form of Mm self-care. Even having like the cake at the birthday party while you're celebrating and feeling joyful can be a form of self-care. But like the mindless hovering over the counter, shoving cookies in your mouth just in an attempt to feel better, self-comfort more than self-care. So a lot of times the question becomes like, how is this serving me? What need is this meeting? Mm -hmm. And can I intentionally say right now I'm choosing this, Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to eat my feelings. I'm choosing to go get a manicure pedicure because it will make me feel better. And that's fine. And we take ownership of it. Um, But I think it's always worth asking if it's self-comfort or it's self-care because things just aren't black and white. Emotional eating isn't always bad, right? Like Mm -hmm. eating for joy, eating for comfort, eating out of resilience because it was the only way you knew how to cope, self-care. But we have to start checking in with ourselves of do these things still serve me? Why am I doing it? Or am I just trying to comfort myself during a time of stress? And could I maybe utilize a different coping skill that works better for me right now? 
And see, I, I love that you brought up the food example because that one is, that one is a big one for me. So, you know, emotional eating. Yeah. Like, am I just like rummaging through and now I like have 14 Halloween candy wrappers sitting in front of me. What just happened? <laughs> you know, cause I've definitely been in that spot. I, I had my second child on October 30th. So I know all about that, <laughs> but you know, for me, um, one thing that helps me to stay on track, it helps me feel really good. It's something that I look forward to at the end of every day is my little snack size chocolate. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it's helpful for me, yeah. you know, but if there were a plate of brownies sitting on the counter, I would probably consume the whole tray. And right. that is emotional binge eating. Like there is a huge difference between those two things. Right. Well, I think that, um, for a lot of us, this is going to probably be a really unpopular opinion. There are a lot of coaches who are a big believer, like just get it out of the house. Don't have the trigger around. I don't tend to be that way. I think that that is necessary sometimes, but I'm more of a, this is a trigger for a reason. Let's lean into it mm -hmm. and figure out how you can feel empowered and, and in control around food. And again, if you want to eat the tray of brownies, eat them, but own it. Like be intentional, have awareness, take ownership and acknowledge why you're doing it. And that is sometimes how things shift from a form of self-comfort to self-care. But mm -hmm. for me, it was really a, a beautiful form of self-care when I learned how to go from abstainer to moderator and how to be able to eat in moderation and have the one brownie without the tray or have the piece of chocolate without the whole bag. Because I spent a long time of my life like that. Like I had to be quote unquote perfect. And that typically happened during the week. And then the weekends were kind of a train wreck. Mm -hmm. um, and that like restricts overfeed, restrict overfeed binge even for me yeah. um, didn't serve me anymore. It was self-comfort, but it wasn't self-care. And so, but that didn't mean all or nothing. That didn't mean like then I could never have the chocolate. That meant me learning how to become intentional and empowered and making choices yeah. that better work for me. I love that. So really finding the why behind why you want to take a deep dive into that tray of brownies versus just saying, no, you can't even have it around. Right. Because there might be, um, a purpose for it. It might be, well, I want to like be elbows deep in a pint of Ben and Jerry's right now, because this is what I used to eat when I was sick. And this makes yeah. me feel really comforted. Or this for me is associated with celebration. And that brings me joy. Um, or this was the only thing like when I was little and I was getting bullied, going into the pantry and eating candy was like the one safe place that I felt like I had and, and that I had some control. These things are typically built from somewhere, somewhere good, somewhere that formed as self-care. But if we're also in a position to ask, does this still serve me? Mm -hmm. um, then we have the opportunity to make change. And the question might be, the answer might be yes. Like that might still serve you once in a blue moon to have five brownies. And you know what? Nutritionally, not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. But if it doesn't serve you and you're you're kind of using it as a crutch or you're making yourself sick or it's creating a narrative around your worthiness or your willpower or your control over food, um, then the ripple effect is, is not self-care and we have to examine it more as self-comfort. Absolutely. So what are some simple self-care items that, you know, the, the moms who don't have time or the parents in general who, you know, don't have time, quote unquote, to worry about self-care because they're too busy. Right. 
So I always, I mean, I, as with everything, strategy is super subjective and really individualized. And that's when it becomes helpful for you to work on your own individual strategy and creating something that works for you. I'm a big believer that we have to start where you are because you are probably already doing self-care strategies that you don't even realize that you're doing, but we have an opportunity to acknowledge them and celebrate them and count them as wins. And that already starts to shift our mindset to more positive thinking. So even if we start with really basic hygiene, you're probably brushing your teeth every day, but you're probably not like, well, you know what? I'm going to take five minutes for myself and brush my teeth and wash my face. And even if the rest of the day becomes a nightmare, I'm going to count that as a win, yeah. right? But that's a really different experience than brush my teeth, hurry up, wash my face, hurry up, get out of the shower super fast, go, go, go. So if we, that helps then us calling that self-care after the fact, correct. Like if we're present in the moment and we're intentional and we're aware we absorb it differently. It, it becomes, and it shifts our mindset. So it becomes a form of self-care. So I'm a big believer that we have to create a toolbox. And a lot of that toolbox largely starts with the things that we're already doing, but we're now celebrating as well as other basic strategies that we can start incorporating. And I do believe that we have to start with the most basic, the most doable and build up from there to more higher level strategies. And we have to acknowledge that everything counts. So our ego likes to get involved and be like, well, a workout doesn't count if it's not an hour and I'm not dying on the floor um, or I'm not sore for three days. And the reality is like getting up off your couch and going for a walk around the block and getting some extra steps in and getting some sunshine, that counts. And if that's the best that you can do today is a 10 minute walk with your kids, then it counts. Not only does it count in terms of neat and sunshine and physical self-care and psychological <laughs> But it also counts because now we're creating a habit for you to get up off the couch and to make space and time for physical movement and to make space and time for yourself and your own needs. And if we can start really small, then we can build from there. So basic strategies could be anything from basic hygiene. Again, showering and brushing our teeth isn't enough of self-care, but it's a start for self-care. So it can, it can be in the to- a tool in the toolbox. Um, maybe like advanced nutritional protocols aren't doable for you, but maybe you can make sure that you're not skipping meals. Maybe you can drink those extra eight ounces of water. Maybe you can try and have a little protein at every meal or one extra serving of veg- veggies. You know, maybe it's going to bed 10 minutes earlier or setting a limit on your phone. So you're not scrolling social media as late at night. Um, maybe it's just like, complimenting yourself before you get out of bed every morning. A lot of self-care strategies don't require a lot of time or energy or effort. They can be really basic. Um, We just don't like to celebrate them because we're doers and we want to be productive and we want to be achievers. And so it's like, well, if we're going to do it, that doesn't count. Yeah. We, Mm -hmm. if we're going to do it, then we got to do it 110%. And the reality is you can do anything 110%. I can give 110% effort while I'm drinking those extra eight ounces of water and it counts. It counts as a deposit in the bank. And that's what we're looking at here. Like if you're trying to save up a million dollars, you don't have to earn a million dollars tomorrow. You can just keep depositing dollar after dollar, day after day. And that still gets you to the same place. You wouldn't have the same respect for that million dollars as you would if you added overnight versus you had to actually work for it to get there. Correct. Correct. And the reality is while we're busy making deposits, we're also busy making withdrawals, right? We're draining ourselves. We're giving to other things. We're having days where like, we're not doing things that really feel our best for ourselves. 
So what's going to serve us better is consistency over time and showing up and making small deposits that help refill our cup as quickly as we're draining it. Well, and two, I think it's, I think like you said, starting even at the very, very beginning basic is okay. If that's where, if that's where you're at, you know, I made a post several weeks ago about how it makes me feel good to dress up every day for work. I did it for 12 years working in the professional field. And I told myself, you know, in March, when I started working from home, I wasn't just going to turn into a quote unquote slug in sweatpants and and roll out of bed and go to my computer. I was going to pull myself together, et cetera, et cetera. And I do, and it makes me feel good. It makes me feel confident. It makes me feel productive, but that didn't set well with everybody that that follows me. I got some pretty negative feedback on that. And um, to the point where, you know, a, a mom had expressed that if a uh, somebody in a really bad position read that, it could lead them on the verge of suicide. And mm. that really broke my heart because that was not at all my intention for that post. It's just you know, if, if I, uh, if this works for me, maybe it can help somebody else that's feeling in a bad position. But I also think it's important for, for those of us to realize, you know, I've been that mom that, um, postpartum couldn't get off the couch, didn't do her hair. Like I've been that mom too. You know, I've been there too. This is just where I'm at right now. And so I think differentiating, differentiating ourselves between, you know, them and me, is very important because maybe they're at chapter 10 and you're at chapter one, you know, it's, it's all relative to where you're at at that point. Yeah. That's why I say it needs to be subjective. What's basic for you might not be basic for somebody else. What's basic for you now might not have been basic for you before, you know, 10 years ago, the basics of my nutrition were definitely not the basics of my nutrition now, but it's been practice. It's been time, it's education, it's routine. So the goal is, you know, it's kind of like we are in a hole and we're trying to build a ladder to get ourselves out and everybody's just in different places in the hole. So Mm -hmm. some people might be starting like at rung one of the ladder and some people might be starting a little further up. And what it becomes really tricky, especially thanks to social media is we like to play the comparison game and it's like, well, she's already doing that. Shouldn't I be doing that? And like, oh, my ego doesn't like that. I have to start with like, can I just brush my teeth before 2 PM today? But there's no shame in that. And Mm -hmm. honestly, there's even more of a need for the person lower on the ladder to up the ante on self-care because they've probably been in the hole that much longer and just have kept sliding further and further down the slope. So the goal is to keep rebuilding the ladder, climbing out of the ladder. And there are going to be times that life knocks you off the ladder. Um, But the hope is that you don't fall all the way back down. Like you now are able to get back on the ladder Right. Like you're able to get back on the ladder in a further up spot or you rebuild the ladder that much faster. You can take the analogy however you want. But the goal is like we get out of the hole that much faster. And then once we're out of the hole and we're maintaining and we're staying out of the hole, then we can take off running in whatever direction we want. Then we can achieve those higher level goals. Mm -hmm. But basic is so relative to where you are in the journey. Mm -hmm. And I have clients where their basics are really really, really basic. And honestly, 
they've spent enough time judging themselves that the best that I can say, if anybody's listening like that right now, is that there is no shame in wherever your basic is. There's also no shame if your basic is a lot higher up. It's because of the work that you've done and the foundation that you have to be able to do that. We just, it, we've got to stop wasting our energy, comparing ourselves to others and instead utilize that energy to get ourselves out of the hole. I absolutely could not agree more. There is just way too much comparison game out there. And, you know, you, you really can't, I mean, you could be a a mom whose husband is deployed and you're at home with three kids by yourself, you know, maybe trying to work. I don't know, but, or you could be the mom who, um, you know, has a ton of help from your partner and, you know, life just is not going to be the same as the other. It's, it's different to everyone. And, you know, you've got to start where your chapter one is. And if you're able to go faster, good for you. But if you're not, that is okay too. Right. You have to give yourself some grace because your circumstances play a role and the history and the cumulative impact of how long you've been living like this Mm -hmm. contributes to where you are. And honestly, it just doesn't matter. What matters isn't where you're starting. It's that you know where you're starting and then you take the first step to start moving forward. A hundred percent. Well, you have a lot of amazing resources out there. I know you do. I I see them all the time. What, um, what, where can people get resources? What are some of those resources? Maybe they're, you know, um, resources that you've built or created, or maybe books that you've read. Yeah. So, um, Oh man, books that I've read, there's all sorts of good mindset books. And for me, it's Um, audiobooks Cause you know, I don't take the time to sit down and actually read. (laughs) Yeah, Probably like the two that popped to mind at the forefront of my mind are, is a book essentialism. I did that as an audio book. I love that book. And then the subtle art of not giving a fuck is probably oh, my ultimate yeah. book. I've, That's a good one. Um, and then in terms of like stuff I create, I try and put out content regularly on Instagram, mostly yeah. free resources on what self-care really looks like and doable ways to add it in and why it's needed. Um, and then I've got a blog as well, uh, at happybellycoaching.com and then some resources on Envision Nutrition as well from the past with body image and stuff like that. And then I'm in the process of finalizing two eBooks. So one will be favorite tools, self-care tools, easy recipes, um, at-home workouts, um, affirmation ideas, journal prompts, all of that good stuff for tools in the toolbox. And then the other ebook is how to implement those things. So the method that I take clients through to start adding kind of like we we talked about of creating a a beginner strategy and then moving up um, so that busy moms can start figuring out how to take care of themselves again. I appreciate that because I feel like there's a lot of, um, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's not a lot of talk of, okay, great. But how, you know, how do I put that into my busy life? You know, that's great, but this is my situation and you don't understand, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I just think women should be empowered to know how to do that for themselves because motherhood is ever changing. So I can give you a blueprint now. And then three weeks from now, when your kid hits a different phase or the bottom falls out or work gets tricky, whatever. (laughs) that blueprint's not going to work anymore. So I would rather teach women how to do it for themselves. So that way they have an adaptable strategy. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, you really did hit the nail on the head there that what is going on right now in your life in six months could be 
a completely different outlook, especially if you have young kids, you know, I've got a 15 year old and I have a just turned four year old. It's completely different end of the spectrum for both of them and, and one in between. And so, you know, I think that's very important too, is it is okay to always be evolving and changing too. Absolutely. We have to, that's a good thing, but we just have to then have strategies that evolve and change with us. And you're going to pick up the tools for each step along the way. So it's not like with each phase, you're going to have to start from square one. You're going to have a tool or something that you picked up from the previous phase that you're going to be able to still implement. We might just need a few more. Correct. Yeah. The goal is one big master toolbox, right? It's like having a million pretty clothes in the closet so we can pull out whichever one we feel best in that day. Absolutely. And with all those tools, I will put your information in the show notes. Um, And I try to repost a lot of Jess's stuff on our um, Instagram stories because she's got a lot of really good stuff out there. And I just, you know, it, like I said earlier in the podcast that I sometimes stop and think, what would my inner Jess say? And I would love for you guys to do that too, because, you know, the reality is, is we are go-getters, we are achievers, we are doers. And sometimes we forget to stop for that minute and really take care of ourselves before our, our cup is empty. Absolutely. Yeah. And if anybody has questions or wants to learn more, don't hesitate to reach out because I always love chatting with people about it too. Yes, absolutely. And she is, she is absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to put her contact information in the show notes. Um, I think your biggest platform is Instagram, correct? Jessica Durando? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, perfect. So thank you again so much for being on the podcast today. You, I mean, this was a really great conversation. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. Um, if you want to find out more about Jess, please check out our show notes and we will have them below. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe and share it to your Instagram story, Facebook page, or any of your other social media platforms so that we can help others out there become the best versions of themselves. We so appreciate you listening in and until next time, keep your goals high, but keep each step attainable.